Welcome to another episode of our Back to Business podcasts. These um, podcasts are designed to give you some practical tips to help you get back to business following disaster. My name is Megan Rogers and I'm the manager of Sheep Connect New South Wales. And today I'm joined by Nathan Scott from Victoria, who's uh, a consultant and the principal of his own business, Achieve Ag Solutions. Nathan provides a lot of um, on-farm practical advice to farmers in his area and further afield. He also does a lot of speaking and um, is a generally uh, well-recognised um, leader in the, the field of, of sheep and, and livestock management. So thanks for joining us today, Nathan. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about flock rebuilding, but um, yeah, thanks again for, for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. So Nathan, just to kick us off, what when we're thinking about rebuilding, we've we've obviously got some opportunities to um you know to try and uh, build our business, and we we want to try and do that in a cost effective way. What's the first step that you think people should really consider when they're thinking about undertaking a, a more um, strategic type of rebuild? So I think the first step every time should be to sit down and actually work out what your true objectives are. And part of that process is is formalising what might be well and truly formed in your head. I want you to, to, to be able to get it down on paper and formalise what your objectives are. And in that in that term, I mean, actually get them out as a smart objective, which is a smart objective needs to be specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time bound. So, so that means we want to have components of your objectives that are very measurable. Um, so that might be in terms of conception rate or um, marking percentage. It might be growth rates, any of those types of components that we can actually measure the progress on. Um, I like to set quite ambitious targets with any of our clients, um, but they do need to be realistic at the same time. And ultimately, we want it to be time bound. So we want to set a date, a line in the sand at some point where we can say, have we achieved what we set out to achieve? So that might be a year. It might be simply saying by 2023, I want to be achieving this. But as soon as we have clear and clearly documented what your objective is, it's so much easier then to put a plan together around the, the most economic, the most profitable, profitable, or even just the most rewarding way of actually working towards that, achieving that objective. I guess it's a, a bit of an opportunity to start with that clean slate and say, well, you know, what do we like doing? You know, people people quite often, you know, have those conversations about what should I be doing, what's making the most money, but at the end of the day, you know, what do you want to do and what's what do you like doing and, and how's that going to fit in is an important part of, of that opportunity that exists during a rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. And often people will come to me and say, what's the most profitable enterprise that we can run? And my first question always is, which one do you enjoy the most? Because while there is clearly some differences in profitability achieved between whether you're a, a beef or a wool or a lamb operation, there would be at least as much variation within each of those categories. So if you are good at what you do, you tend to be able to, to run quite a profitable enterprise. If you enjoy it and you're good at it, it doesn't particularly matter which enterprise type you're running. Um, it's, a, it's about getting a rewarding role that you're going to excel in. And so, and, and which is which is every other industry looks at, at job opportunities like that and trying to get the most out of their people. Agriculture is no different. It's just that most often in family farming situations, 
that individual is also the boss. So they need to sit down and, and make sure that their own career is going to be rewarding um, and that they're going to get the most out of themselves. And when you're, when you're in that phase of looking at how you can rebuild your enterprise, it's a perfect opportunity to, to think about what actually, what's going to mean the most to you, what are you going to enjoy the most, and what is it that you actually want to achieve over the next five to 10 years. It might be a, a new way of doing things as well. It might be just a, a quite a, a significant change in, in what it is that uh, you're doing, but it might also be an opportunity to say, no, this is really where, it, where, where it's at and what I enjoy doing the most. So if we think a little bit about the rebuild phase and um, you know, what are our actual options in terms of how to go about rebuilding our flock or herd? How are we going to do that in a cost-effective fashion? Um, so there are three clear options available to you. The first is that you go and buy stock in. That's generally the most obvious one to people. Um, the, the second is to retain more young replacements. Again, that one tends to be quite a go-to for people is, is we'll just keep more replacements. Um, and then the third one is to retain more older stock. And it's the one that I think probably gets forgotten about a little bit um, because we're so often keen to, we've, the industry has both sheep and beef done a fantastic job of promoting genetics and everyone's trying to shorten the generational interval by kicking out older stock to bring in the next wave of new genetics. But particularly in a building phase, there is an opportunity to capitalise on some of those older stock as well. What about a combination of, of all three? Do you think there's some, some opportunities there to say, well, um, you know, just using one of those as a, as a single strategy is probably, um, you know, offering up a little bit more risk than than trying to to incorporate the three into your strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I, if if it was me, I would be looking at all three as potentially um, strategies that can be implemented simultaneously. And again, it comes back to what that objective was that was set right back at the start actually tells you, because if your objective has actually shown you um, that you're looking at either a different breed or even a different species, perhaps you want to incorporate more cattle in your system, then that's going to have a, a significant impact on what your rebuild looks like. If it's as straightforward as your objective setting exercise told you that what you were already doing is exactly what you want to continue doing, and it's just simply a, a numbers game, then I would be looking at all three strategies. And from the buy-in point of view, um, particularly, so I'll use the Merino example here for a start because it's the, the one that's most obvious, I think. If you've got a merino operation that you've been honing the genetics, you know exactly the type of sheep that you're after and you, you have been getting to where you want to get to, but you just don't have the numbers around you. The idea of going out and buying more merino ewes that aren't going to, to fit your um, genetic profile or your genetic direction that you're heading isn't going to sit well with people. And so, Perhaps that's the opportunity to say that, yes, we know we're on the right path with the Merinos that we've got. We're going to breed from within with those, and build our numbers that way. But in the short term, we need to, from a profitability point of view, we need to be able to generate more income and that's going to require us to build our stocking rate. Then perhaps it's looking at something totally different. Maybe it is cattle. Maybe it's buying in some crossbred or composite ewes that are only going to be there for a limited amount of time but a chance to, to allow you to keep doing what you're doing with the Merino operation, keep heading in the right direction from a genetics point of view with those, 
um, but still keeping that cash flow coming by having another enterprise ticking along. Having said that, I don't want to overcomplicate anyone's systems because simple systems are generally the most profitable and, and um, productive systems. There, yeah, there's certainly a lot to, to be said about um, keeping it simple, uh, particularly during a, a time of, of change and, and upheaval in your business. If we think a little bit about a rebuild, it, it comes down to a numbers game and, you know, and, and throughput's really important. So, we you know, we, we're looking to be building the number of cows or or ewes that we've got. Just, I just want to explore a little bit about, you know, how you think that there's there's some good ways and, you know, and, and what sort of targets people should be um, aspiring to with their reproduction. Because reproduction is obviously, um, if you're running a anything other than a weather or a steer trading type of business, you know, the breeding ewe or the cow is really where it's at and getting them to, to be operating at their maximum reproductive potential is really uh, where the the um the gains are to be made. Yeah, absolutely. So um, first and, and foremost, if if we are a self-replacing system, the first step is conception. Um, and in terms of that, I think uh, we need to set some realistic, but also still some some challenging targets for ourselves in terms of conception rates. And in this, in these terms, we're not talking in sheep. We're not talking about your overall scanning percentage. This is just the, the percentage of ewes that get in lamb or the percentage of cows that, that get in calf. But we should be targeting in cows, we should be targeting more than 90% of them um, to be in calf and for heifers more than 85%. And I think those targets and those expectations are growing, um, particularly if we can keep our, our calving pattern nice and tight we're getting more cows joined on the first cycle, gives us a much better chance of them coming back around, returning to oestrus and, and getting in calf um, in the following year. If we're talking ewes, then then mature ewes, it should be more than 95% of our mature ewes that we're getting in, in lamb. That should be our target. Uh, maiden ewes, it's, it's around that 90% or better. And then new lambs are uh, still a real challenge for us. Um, but, Ideally, we, we want to be getting more than 85% of them in lamb. Um, and that depends on whether it's the whole drop that you're trying to join or whether it's a, a classed selection of them or what the, the makeup of those ewes actually is. It's an interesting uh, concept about, you know, making sure that we're, we're hitting those targets. But those targets can really dictate what the, the capacity of our flock or herd is to rebuild. Just wanted to to talk a little bit about um, with those different age structures in terms of getting a high uh, percentage of conception on that first cycle, and whether you've got any strategies or, or tips for for people in terms of you know making every post a winner there uh, with the different ages. Yeah. So, and one of the reasons, as as much as it's about conception and trying to get more lambs on the ground. As soon as we can get, or more calves on the ground, as soon as we can get more cows or more ewes to conceive on the first cycle, it immediately buys us time out the other end of the season as well. Because it, it means that our calves or our lambs are now three or four weeks older than the calves or lambs born on the, the second cycle. So it's, it's a really simple um, concept, but chasing more conceptions on that first cycle a tighter calving pattern, a tighter lambing pattern, 
gives us great flexibility in terms of, of growing out stock. It also just coincides really nicely with the fact that, that ewes and cows that are likely to conceive on that first cycle um, uh, tend to be our better performing animals as well from a reproduction point of view. So um, the, the factors, the clear factors involved in that though are always going to be nutrition and condition score for both sheep and cattle. So if we're expecting an animal, animal to perform well for us, we have to give her the opportunity to, to actually express her potential. So we need to be targeting condition score. Um, so if, if, for instance, in cattle, if we've got cows that are in that sort of 2.5 to 3 condition score range, then we know we can expect to get around that 90% pregnancy rate. Um, similarly, we'll get a bit, around about 90% of them return to, um, to cycling in that first three weeks um, of cycling. So that's the, the target for us. In sheep, uh, if you're chasing a big scanning percentage, so we've traditionally always talked about trying to make sure that our sheep are condition score three. Um, that is absolutely critical for getting more of them in lamb. If you're chasing some of the bigger scanning percentages because you've already got great lamb survival and we're trying to just get more opportunity to keep live lambs or get live lambs on the ground, then, um, then we're chasing higher condition score targets. And we've got a number of clients now that are targeting condition score three and a half as part of their, their normal management um, to allow those ewes to really express their potential. And what, what role do you think genetics plays in this space as well? So in terms of, you know, if, if we've got biogenetics in, but, you know, in, importantly, some of the decisions that we can be making on farm during a rebuild. Uh, so the, the absolute number one factor when it comes to genetics is to, to make sure that any decisions you're making are an informed decision. So whether that's buying sheep in or buying cows in, trying to make sure they're coming from proven genetics. Um, but if it's, if it's even simply just looking at what sires we're going to use within our self-replacing system, if we, one of the great advantages during a rebuild is that we tend to be at lower numbers, um, lower breeder numbers, and therefore we have the opportunity to have a bigger impact with the genetics that we do invest in because we can we can tend to put more money in to fewer sires and therefore get a, a bigger impact from those cumulative genetics. So the only way that we can really do that though is in terms of assessing sires is to make sure that we use all of the tools available to us. So if we're talking sheep, that's using ASBVs or Australian sheep breeding values. Um, in combination with visual assessment um, and the same with cattle, we'd be looking at using um, EBVs and from breed plan um, in combination with visual assessment. And I always say it's never one or the other, it's always both. We, we need to have a really good visual assessment to make sure that that's the right type of animal, that it's structurally sound and equipped to do what we need it to do but equally we need to make sure that they are productive animals. And the only way we can really do that is with breeding values. There's certainly some free kicks to be gained from um, using animals with superior genetics, particularly if your management's really good. And I think yeah, that's an, an opportunity for, for a lot of our, our industry to, to uptake. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is, it's one thing to invest in genetics, but if you don't allow them to express their potential, then you can miss some of that opportunity as well. So there, there is, um, genetics is a, is a major factor and the cumulative effect of genetics means that we need to be making the right decisions now for our future. Um, equally, if we're going to make the investment, 
we need to make sure that we can capitalise on that investment by getting as many animals on the ground carrying those genetics as we possibly can. If we're buying those superior genetics though, we don't want to be, you, you talk about saying, well, if you've got less animals, uh, you don't need to buy as many, so buy better. But we don't want to be scrimping on that either. We want to be making sure that we've got adequate percentages so that our rams and bulls can cover our females adequately, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. There, there is really, um, there, there is nothing more demoralising than a high dry percentage simply because we didn't have enough size in, in a mob or a herd. Um, it's, it's one of those ones that we just cannot um, cut corners on. And that doesn't just come down to how many bulls or how many rams, but also the fitness of them to work. Um, we, we have done inspections of clients' ram teams, just as an, a quick example, where I've gone through and just done a quick assessment, checked their testicles, um, feet, and our, our consistent run over four years was kicking out 17% of rams with, with significant defects. Um, so a trained vet would find even more than what I'm finding, um, but it's, it's critically important that people assess their size and make sure they're actually fit to work because if we're running close to the edge in terms of percentages anyway, and then you lose a sire, then it's going to hurt. And uh, we just heard an example the other day of, of cows that, um, that a bull didn't work and they didn't find out until preg testing. They had no idea that he wasn't working um, and it throws the whole system out. So it's, it's about having enough of them and making sure that they're all fit to work as well. Absolutely. You know, it's just such an important thing. And, and I guess um, as we go into the winter months and, and, the, and the southern uh, spring ram sales will be upon us before we know it, making sure that you go through your rams before you go to the ram sale so you know how many you need rather than finding out five minutes before you're uh, taking them to their to their paddocks. So same thing with bull sales, I guess. Yeah, it is one of those unfortunate things that bulls and rams tend to live in a paddock near the driveway and they get assessed at 60 kilometres an hour as someone drives past them. Um, we need, we do need to actually put the effort in to go in, get them in, do a true assessment, as you say, well before time, so that we have the opportunity to make decisions and buy enough numbers and not be scrambling right at the point of joining, trying to find something to go in there. Oh, nothing worse than the last minute in that space. I just um, want to touch now a little bit on on the idea of, um, you know, throughput and what wastage uh, means as a lost opportunity during a rebuild. Yeah, so I think it's the great hidden cost within any enterprise, but particularly within a rebuild. Um, and we've touched on some of it when we're talking about conception rates and things like that. But I just think that there is so much that slips through people's fingers and it's that that insidious loss that just creeps into people's systems that um, that can really hurt your ability to rebuild. So clearly reproduction is one of the major ones, both in terms of conception and um, survival if we're talking sheep. But it's also just making sure like uh, things like in, in young heifers, if we're joining heifers, we need to make sure that we're giving them every opportunity to perform, make sure that they're not going to create um, additional management hassles through uh, more in, a higher rate of intervention. And really that comes down to making sure that they're fit, not fat, um, and making sure that we're selecting the right size as well. Because if you look at a whole farm situation, um, particularly a mixed enterprise, 
potentially if we just drop the ball a little bit in terms of conception, then all of a sudden there's some offspring that we're not going to have. And then if, we, if we're running sheep and beef and some of our, our lamb survival isn't as good as we thought um, it could be because we didn't get things quite right, all of a sudden there's some more loss. And then when we're carving down our heifers, we're having to intervene with too many of them because we, we ran the heifers a bit too fat. Maybe we used the wrong bull. We're having to pull calves. We lose some calves. All of a sudden, all of these things start to accumulate across a 12-month period. Um, it might even flow into that into that second joining where we, we haven't quite prepared cows and ewes for joining. Maybe we didn't grow out ewe lambs to heavy enough weights to achieve our, our targets. Um, and all of a sudden, within a 12-month period, we could have had quite a lot slip through our fingers in terms of, of rebuilding from within. And all that leaves us with, potentially, is the need to go and buy more external stock. And in the current market, um, that's not an easy thing to do. It's difficult to find quality when we've got such high demand and such low supplies. We know that the quality of stock really isn't going to be out there. Um, that's a, a gross generalisation, but generally if stock are any good, someone's keeping them. So what's on the market um, isn't always going to be the, the most appealing stock that we would otherwise try and find. So all of that that wastage, the, the things that just slip through our fingers can accumulate to mean that we're out trying to buy stock that we wouldn't have otherwise had to do. And I guess for those of us who are, um, you know, in a, a rebuild with pasture, um, recovering from either fire or drought, and in those areas, it, it represents a significant lost opportunity because we've we've now got this feed available in the paddocks that we, we need to be utilising. And, and if we've got unnecessary wastage in our operation, then that's costing us valuable you know, money and, and valuable turnover. Yeah, ultimately we know that stocking rate is our number one profit driver. And so if we can't um, create the stocking rate or if, we, if we're missing the opportunities to build that stocking rate and we, we're wasting feed, then yes, it's, it's, a, it's a critically lost opportunity. And particularly if you are pouring money into into redeveloping pastures, um, I we have a across our client base we have a large amount of investment happening in pastures, which is fantastic because some of it was well overdue anyway. But the investment in pastures has to be coupled with the increasing in increase in stocking rate. Um, there's no point in improving that pasture production if we're not going to utilise it. So it's it's critically important that we don't miss those opportunities as that recovery happens. We spoke at one of our previous um, back to business webinars and, and podcasts about the importance of feed base, and it's it's you know it's also intricately intertwined in terms of of one driving the other and, and vice versa. But you know it's really about having a look at where the opportunity lies in the short term and the medium term, and you know in a lot of cases it might mean you know uh, getting the the experience and the expertise onto your place to help you work out a a, a good pathway forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and clearly I'm biased in this area because it's what we do with clients, but it's it's often just having a sounding board, someone to bounce ideas off, someone to challenge your thinking um, and, and help you work through a process as you you work out, even if it's just initially setting your own objective at the time. Um, it's it's just having being able to access some of that help so that because you're not in it alone. Um, I think sometimes it can become a little overwhelming and as soon as there is a plan put in place, as soon as you throw a few ideas around with someone else, often that it becomes a lot clearer, a lot quicker. 
Um, and I think some of those opportunities present themselves um, a, a bit more when you have another set of eyes looking over the enterprise with you. Absolutely, wise words indeed. I, I find that, that the rain brings uh, some opportunity, um, you know, and but opportunities also out there for you to go and grab too. So, you know, looking up the road and, and looking, um, you know, a little bit deeper into to what it is that you're doing is an op, a, a great way to help drive your, your business forward into a rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that doesn't necessarily always have to be um, a, a consultant like myself. It might be getting a group of farmers together. There's some, some I work with a, a number of farmer groups and some of the best interaction, the best advice comes from the other farmers. And so I think, I think that ability to be able to um, surround yourself with good people who are knowledgeable and can help push you along, give you the encouragement you need, um, sometimes give you the whack that you might need if, uh, if, it's, if it's something that you've let slip past you. I think that bit of accountability with others is, can be a great driving force for your own business and your own personal growth. Absolutely. Nathan, that brings us to a bit of a, um, the end of, of our chat today. I uh, just wanted to say thanks. I've really enjoyed uh, your practical insights into how we can go forward and, and ways that we can you know, maximise our opportunities during a rebuild. So yeah, thanks for joining us on the Back to Business podcast. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Back to Business podcast, a partnership of Meat and Livestock Australia, Australian Wool Innovation, Integrity Systems Company and Sheep Connect New South Wales. In the meantime, if you're finding this information really useful, we would love for you to share this podcast amongst your own networks and appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes so that other farmers can find this Back to Business podcast.